This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have on Pooja Vora, who is a recent master's graduate from Georgetown University at uh, McCourt School of Public Policy and a founding member and past president of the McCourt Migration and Refugee Policy Initiative. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be talking with you today. Thank you. And congratulations. You graduated. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Does it feel good? Do you feel the relief? A big, a big relief. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely a load off my shoulders, but um, I, you know, I really enjoyed grad school just because I was a paralegal for um, about eight years before going back to grad school and then um, decided at some point in my life uh, after the 2016 election that I wanted to focus on on policy more than law. So yeah, that's kind of definitely. where, yeah. Well, well, job well done, job well done. Um, so you, you wrote extensively on the impact of immigrants within healthcare and how they can directly address the impending labor shortage in the industry. Um, we know immigrants make up a significant portion of the healthcare workers in the U.S. today, and you're currently working on what that intersection will look like moving forward. So can you speak to the area of research or where you are focusing your efforts now that would gain the most from this intersection? So my research really um, lies in the integration of immigrants. And so I guess from a healthcare perspective, um, when I you know, wrote this paper, this was actually a paper for class that I did. Um, and when I wrote this paper, COVID-19 you know, was very uh, prominent in the US, um, cases were rising, and there's a lot of talk about the shortage of physicians um, in the US. Um, and then that's kind of like a twofold problem just because there was a aging population, right? of the adult population of over 65. Um, Actually, the American Medical Colleges uh, projected a 45% increase in the adult population over 65 in in the next decade. And then uh, within the physician community, two in five physicians uh, will turn 65 or older in the next decade. So then by 2033, we can expect a physician shortage of up to 139,000 doctors. And so this is where Uh, my interest in the paper stemmed from. And then going back to the integration of immigrants, how can we integrate um, immigrants that have underutilized degrees into the workforce, right? Especially with the looming shortages, how do we integrate them to help during the COVID crisis? So how do we do that? How do we do that? Yes. Um, well, there's, uh, you know, there's several ways, just a little bit of a background. Um, there are, you know, according to the Migration Policy Institute, um, there's 2.6 million employed immigrants in the healthcare field, right? That's immigrants and refugees. Um, and then there's additional 263,000 foreign trained professionals whose Um, like I said before, whose degrees are underutilized. And so this is what many people refer to as a brain waste where, you know, they come to this country, they have degrees from their home country, they they might be surgeons or, you know, doctors, nurses, but because of their foreign credentials, and because of the inability of the state licensing boards to, you know, not streamline these um, credentials and, and to match them according to U.S. standards, uh, 
they end up working in, you know, non-healthcare fields or in, they might be in a healthcare field, but it's not, you know, what they were trained for. In addition to that, they also have many policy relevant characteristics. And, and this is really um, just being younger than their US counterparts and being multilingual. And so this is actually very ideal that they be utilized given the looming shortages um, that are projected. You know, immigrants are overrepresented um, in the front line and, and um, as frontline and essential workers as well. So it's particularly important that they be integrated and be allowed to, you know, actually practice what they were trained for. Right. Um, yeah, there's so many benefits that come to this with having immigrants in the healthcare workforce. Um, as we continue on, we look at America's demographics, it's becoming more diverse, and we'll need people who are multilingual, right? And a youthful population to help serve for the long term. And they need the relevant skills in those areas. So immigrants, uh, by and large, check many of those boxes, right? So they can be an, an absolute asset within this industry. So finding ways to help, as you were saying, streamline those credentials and that, that credential process will be in benefit of us all. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, especially given that, you know, immigrants are overrepresented as, as frontline and essential workers, you know, many um, are doctors, um, many in the Latinx community, right, have, um, we've seen during this pandemic the disparity where many minority communities have to go into work because you know they're employed as janitors or bus drivers health aides or jobs that require us to go into work whereas many others can sit at home and and do remote work and so having this um multilingual background is is definitely important and i think something that was a little under underrepresented or, or not highlighted enough, I guess, was especially within the Asian community, Asians were actually twice as likely to test positive um, than, than whites, right? Um, right? 60% more likely to be in the hospital and 50% more likely to die. Um, even in the Latinx community, 53% were more likely to be hospitalized and 30% were more likely to more likely to die than whites um, because of COVID. And so having or having the ability for immigrant um, or foreign trained professionals to to be able to serve their communities is I think very important. Right. So we can talk about like what's upholding this process to onboard immigrants and to make sure that they are a part of this industry and that they're working and that they can serve the everyday uh, American, is it some steps that states can take to relax restrictions in order to combat this shortage of healthcare workers, uh, especially you know right now during the pandemic, but also as we reopen? Because even you know not having the pandemic, we still have this impending labor shortage coming. So either way, it's needed. Yeah, yeah, there are def- there are definitely you know. Uh- both state and federal initiatives that that could help ease um, ease the burden. Uh, for one, relaxing licensing requirements, right? Um, so during the pandemic, you already saw New York and New Jersey 
doing this. So for example, New York, they relaxed residency requirements um, and they also allowed nurses uh, to practice without a license. Um, even though you still had to take exams, I believe New York relaxed uh, specifically for the residency requirement from like two to one year. Um, New Jersey was more flexible in that it granted temporary licenses to foreign trained physicians who had practiced in other countries within the past five years, and then also had at least five years of experience in the healthcare field. And so things like this, when a foreign trained professional comes to the US but doesn't have um, I guess, quote unquote, the proper cr credentials according to US standards, temporary licenses, um, the ability to practice without a license. Also, it just makes it easier for them to, to integrate themselves into the healthcare field and, and us to start um, helping immediately. Definitely other states um, such as Missouri have allowed graduates to remain who have remained um, unmatched in a residency slot to serve as physician assistants. So they've accepted credentials that are similar to US standards and then they've allowed them to begin immediately. Um, so some, those are some short-term solutions that states can take. A longer term, I think for the state, a longer term solution could be just implementing a credential system to streamline requirements and then recognize the foreign training and experience. Um, actually doing this, uh, states would actually observe a 50% increase in the number of licenses awarded to doctors. Mm -hmm. Got it. And I remember seeing you recommend that U.S. should take similar steps as the United Kingdom and automatically grant extensions to visas that are nearing expiration. So to help further streamline that process, when you do that, it right now, uh, when they expire on their visa, a lot of immigrants are left in this weird limbo state, right? There's a period of a limbo status and it's like, okay... It, should I be here? Should I not? I'm waiting for the my application to right. go through. So if we had a more streamlined process uh, in that sense, and there's other countries that's already doing that, I think that will help expedite the process. Yeah, yeah. The United Kingdom definitely, uh, you know, definitely did that. And I think when COVID was you know, rising, obviously USCIS offices were shut down, right? And and that's the problem that you're speaking of. It was a lot of people were left in a limbo. It was like, is my visa going to get extended? Am I going to become undocumented, right? Like if my visa expires. And, and so that was a really big problem. And just granting automatic authorization would have solved a lot of that. I mean, and obviously now in, in the present, the offices are back open, right? And so that isn't that much of an issue anymore. But you know, we all know that COVID is not over. Um, so it could it could become an issue again. Um, in terms of like easing visa restrictions, I would specifically point out the H-1B and J-1 visas. Um, for example, so H-1B, some of the restrictions limit a doctor's ability to move from one hospital to the other. So if a hospital is not stated on their visa, they can't attend that hospital, even if you know, they have uh, credentials the hospital needs or if it's like the next town over. So I guess just like a hypothetical example of that would be if, you know, a doctor is practicing in one hospital and the hospital in the next town over needs the doctor because they, their doctor, you know, has gotten sick or, or moved away or, you know, retired or for whatever reason, 
that doctor that's practicing cannot go to hospital B, right? right. If it's not listed on their H1B visa. And this is especially maybe, you know, in urban areas, this might, might not be that big of an issue, but especially in rural areas where there aren't a lot of physicians, right? Um, and there is a scarcity in hospitals that, that can really hurt, you know, the public's ability to get assistance, I guess. Right. Um, and for, for J1s, there's similar restrictions in that um, immigrant doctors actually have to return to their home country after residency and then reapply after two years to come back. And especially in the midst of a pandemic, if, if we're forcing doctors that have completed their residency in the U.S. to go back to their home country, and then there's also restrictions on travel in the midst of a pandemic, you're kind of losing out, right? It's a lose-lose situation at that point. Yeah, definitely. When we talk about the shortages, you're absolutely right. It's going to impact rural areas more so than urban areas. A lot of times that's where a lot of the healthcare is is needed, right? Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I think that we have like some short-term reform um, actions that, that can take place and you, you laid it out beautifully <laughs> in your paper and also like long-term reform. Now with this new administration, uh, we might have some time to look into these types of suggestions um, because right now in the USCIS, there's such an incredible backlog in general, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to acute emergencies like we've had over the last year, we have to be able to adjust in kind. Even now, as we're reopening, it's more the middle to long term, the shortages just in general with the aging population. So uh, we're, we're still going to need those workers. And as you call it, the, is it the brain drain? What is brain it? drain or brain waste? Yes. Yeah, yeah. the brain waste. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't, we, we don't want that to happen because now they are talented people all over the world and they're looking at their options, where yeah. to go. Like they have a set level of skills and they might think, okay, if United States has so many restrictions and I don't know how long I can stay and for what periods I can only work in this one area and I can't move. I don't have the, the freedom of mobility. I might look at other options, other countries uh, to give my talents to. So that's something that we definitely have to keep in mind <laughs> ongoing. Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, people are looking, you know, recently, people are looking elsewhere, right, to settle. But just even within the U.S., these mobility restrictions um, kind of exacerbate the urban-rural divide, right? I would argue that, I mean, there are ways, like workarounds, like, for example, for the J-1 visa, you know, there's the Conrad 30 waiver program, mm -hmm. which if you commit to working in, like, a federally designated um, health professional shortage area, then <clears throat> you can stay in the U.S., right? You don't have to go back to your home country. But the thing with that is that states are only awarded 30 waivers. And that also, well, there's three things. States are only award, awarded 30 waivers. It has um, similar mobility restrictions like the H-1B. And then it also requires congressional reauthorization every two years, right? So there are definitely 
on a federal level, I would say there, I mean, I would, I talk about two specific acts on that Congress could pass as a longer term solution. Um, one is uh, there is a Conrad State 30 Physician Act Access Reauthorization Act. This is actually a bipartisan bill that was introduced in 2019. Um, and so, you know, currently the bill only extends the program through 2021, but a lot of, you know, a lot of people would argue that they should make it permanent um, instead of having to reauthorize program every two years, right? This guarantees a way for states to recruit more, uh, more physicians. And then it just kind of eliminates this, you know, back and forth and uncertainty for people that are a part of this program and, you know, having to worry every two years, whether the program's going to be extended or not. You know, that that's definitely one area um, that Congress should focus on. Um, another one is something that I actually learned when when writing this paper was um, the there was a 1997 Medicare funding cap on medical school education, which has actually now created the undersupply of residency slots. Um, so mm. you have limited residency slots. You have more people graduating from med school. Right. And you have foreign medical graduates, right, that actually remain unmatched because there's just no more, there, there's just a limited um, amount of residency slots. Um, and so <clears throat> there's a commission called the Educational Commission for Foreign Medical Graduates, um, and they are in charge of matching met, uh, foreign trained professionals with U.S. residencies, right? And so in 2020, more than 2,800 international medical grads went unmatched, even though they had wow. completed and passed all licensing tests. Right. So, right. So we have like, we already have this looming shortage. Yeah. 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 And mm. we have, you know, this like pandemic that is literally wrecking havoc <laughs> in our country. Mm. And, and you have doctors that can help, but because of this funding cap, they're unable to, to be matched in a residency slot. Um, so the bill was introduced twice, once in the House and then once in the Senate. Um, it's called the Resident Physician Reduction Shortage Act. Um, so it was introduced in the House in 2019, and then it was introduced in the Senate just this past March. And so basically the bill could increase slots by 15,000, which would definitely help in, in you know matching international graduates to residencies in the in the u.s right to be able to relax the that funding cap right and then also as you were saying with the conrad 30 waiver program um to find ways to guarantee uh, that states can recruit more physicians people who are in the healthcare industry that they have a, a slot that they can fill, like they're they're qualified, they have all of the credentials, but it comes down to availability. So yeah. um, that that's where it really comes down. You you honestly have the full blueprint, right? We we, yeah. we can take this uh, take this to Congress and be like, hey, we, we we already got the game plan, all right? We we already got the blueprint, and we just need to put it in action, and that will be beneficial for all of us. So. Thank you, Pooja, for for the work that you do, and uh, it was it was great uh, getting into your work and how you can help this country and how immigrants in in the healthcare workforce can better serve us. So um, I, I appreciate the work that you do. 
Thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, you know, it's we all know that COVID, even though COVID has significant significantly diminished, right? It's not it's not going away anytime soon. Um, obviously, with the new variant from India, um, we we just don't know what's going to happen. So even though it may seem like we're okay now, um, it's definitely better to be prepared and, you know, ahead and be safer um, rather than sorry. Yeah. And yeah, be safer <laughs> than rather, rather than sorry. And, you know, st- I think, I think if states and, and the federal government worked in tandem, um, that would be more beneficial than, than working separately. And I hope the Biden administration, right. Um, kind of kind of puts their focus on that um as as well as as well as the other things they're focusing on um just because again you know 2033 is not far far (laughs) if we really think about it (laughs) Um, so yeah so you know especially especially that and then just being in the middle of a pandemic right now it's definitely important um to focus our efforts on this and you know, one more thing that I wanted to point out was just something that the state and federal government could work on um, in tandem, again, is maybe, you know, just creating a task force, right? Um, A task force to identify policy barriers or barriers that, you know, prevent um, foreign trained physicians from entering Mm. um, the workforce. And, you know, when I talk about barriers, what what I really mean are like high exam costs, um, limited residency slots that we that we just discussed, um, preference for recent graduates, and and again what we discussed earlier, just the inability to recognize experience from other countries. Framing policy solutions based on these specific barriers, I think, would definitely help or accelerate the integration of um, immigrant doctors into the workforce, and and it's actually already happening. Um, mm. You know, states like Massachusetts and uh, Minnesota are are already on a state level creating these task forces. Good. That's good to hear, uh, to be able to bring some relief, especially that financial burden, right? People just starting out their careers. Mm-hmm. That does exclude a lot of people who don't have the resources, but they have the know-how, they have the skills, and they can do the work. So that's absolutely true. Uh, yeah. Well, Pooja, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I feel like now you, after graduating, you can celebrate, you can relax a little bit, lo- loosen up the shoulders, yeah. you know? <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, uh, it's it's been a relief. I mean, grad school, like I said, was a wonderful experience. I'm, it was, you know, definitely one of the best decisions of my life um, to go back after so many years, but um, no more weekend studying and right. no more exam prep. So I'm definitely back to the real world. Yeah, back into the real world. But I'm sure I'll be fine. Yes. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.